All right, I'd like to call the August 14th, 2023 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to, to the, the flag of the United States, States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Councilmember Mark. Here. Councilmember McConnell. Here. Councilmember Povey. Councilmember Roberts. Councilmembers Ramsdell and Roberts have contacted me and asked to be excused, and Councilmember Povey has indicated he will be a few minutes late. Is there a motion related to Ramsdell? Yes. I, I move to excuse Councilmembers Ramsdell and Roberts. Second. Any objection to the motion? All right. Seeing none, the council members are excused. Next up is approval of the agenda. Um, Sorry, it's, it's my honor to, <laughs> to proclaim that we are celebrating Shoreline this week in accordance with our hybrid protocols. I no longer read the proclamations. However, I am announcing that we are proclaiming this week, celebrate Shoreline Week, and I would encourage you the details in the city manager's report on the festivities that will be taking place this weekend. Next up on the agenda is approval of the agenda. Are there any changes to the proposed agenda? All right, seeing none, the agenda is adopted unanimously. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Ellington. Thank you, Mayor and members of council. Registration is open for our for only one more day for our tree giveaway program. Community Trees is the city's newest program to grow and maintain trees for a healthy shoreline. Check out the Community Trees webpage for the tree options that are available and the program details at shorelinewa.gov forward slash communities, or community trees, I'm sorry. Sign up for free tree no later than August 15th. The Go Electric Workshop Series continues with Keep Calm and Solar On on Thursday at the Hangar in Kenmore. This workshop covers how installing solar panels can save you money, add value to your home, and reduce your carbon emissions. We'll review the upfront costs, discounts, and rebates available to you. This series is a partnership with the cities of Lake Forest Park, Kenmore, and Shoreline. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar for information. Start your Saturday with a shoreline walk exploring the trails of Shoreview and Bowen Creek Park. There's no need to sign up. Just meet up with the walk leader, Donna, at Shoreview Park near the restrooms. Wear sturdy shoes as we'll be walking on steep, some steep forest trails. This walk isn't appropriate for strollers or wheelchairs. Learn more and see upcoming walks at shorelinewa.gov forward slash shoreline walks. And after your walk, come over to Cromwell Park and get ready to celebrate Shoreline on Saturday. We're excited to welcome you to our annual festival celebrating Shoreline's birthday. The festival has two stages with live music and shows, a beer garden, pony rides, children's theater, food, and more. This is a free family festival friendly festival. There's cost for food, beverages, and some activities. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash celebrate shoreline for performer schedules, parking map, and additional information. And we look forward to seeing you there. And finally, the Planning Commission meeting originally scheduled for Thursday has been canceled and they're having a retreat on September 7th. And this is the last meeting for council until September 11th. We will see you back here then. And that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellington. Next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Councilmember Mark. 
Thank you, Mayor. I attended a financial workshop in Leavenworth uh, this past week. It was two days talking about city finance. There was approximately 100 people there, uh, of which about a third were city council members and two-thirds were uh, counting people associated with cities. Many of them was, were small, and it was really very informative. Thank you. Deputy Mayor. Just a quick one. Um, last week I attended the North King County Coalition on Homelessness uh, meeting. And um, as always, I want to report that everything is going well at the Oaks. They have had several folks in the, uh, move out, but they are already at capacity again and are planning to be able to reopen for referrals in about six weeks. Um, since the start of this group, Shoreline has sort of been the, um, has sort of managed the meetings and run the meetings, um, but we've identified Brooke Bittner and her role uh, with NUSA to facilitate the meetings in the future. Also wanted to say that a RFP is going out to the community to try and identify a site for, and an operating partner for a cold winter shelter. And thanks to the financial contributions that have been made um, by the different cities, there is a small budget to work with. Thank you. Councilmember, do you have one? No, all right. That concludes uh, council reports. Next up is public comments. And Ms. Simulchek-Smith, how many folks do we have signed up? So it looks like total for general public comment, we have 15. The public hearing on the moratorium, we have two. And then the uh, property acquisition action item is uh, two people signed up for that. All right, thank you. So with 15 people, the public comment will be limited to two minutes each, but we do not need to extend the period in accordance with our rules. Public comment is a chance for us to listen. We're going to absorb what you say, take it in. Staff is also here, but we don't generally respond nor do we engage in a back and forth. We ask that you come up in the order in which you've been called, introduce yourself by your name and city of residence, and limit your comments to two minutes. Because we're doing hybrid meetings, we take the folks who have signed up online first, followed by the folks who have folks who've signed up in person first, it's been a while, um, and then we'll do the folks who've signed up in advance online, and lastly, I'll make sure that there isn't anybody in the audience who would like to speak but didn't get a chance to sign up. So Ms. Simulchek-Smith, if you will please call the first speaker. Sure, Lathan Wayne is first, and then after Lathan is Ken Winnick, Janet Way, and then I'll keep calling. Good evening, uh, Lathan Wayne, Shoreline. Um, I'm here to speak on uh, the property on 15th where the uh, access is. Um, I don't think it's necessary to move the property because um, I think it's fine right where it is. Um, so um, my uh, friends use access and uh, I think it's a great, uh, system for them to use and um yeah that's all that i have to say is uh let's not move the property thank you thank you mr wayne um yes <clears throat> hello my name is Ken Winnick, and I live in Shoreline. And I'd like to address the council concerning the uh, removal of street trees currently underway throughout the city. Uh, first and foremost, I would just like to ask the council to recognize or to remember, perhaps, that shade and greenery in a city is a matter of environmental justice. And what I mean by this is 
that heat, heat islands and denuded streets in most cities happen in the poorer and less affluent areas. I think if you cruise around, say, in Sardin or other uh, wealthier areas, you will not find um, as many uh, issues of, with tree removal creating hot spots in the city. Um, now, you may say in, in some of those other areas that there's not conflicts between the trees and the sidewalks. However, the fact still remains that people living in the areas like, for example, on 15th Northeast are burdened with this situation. And furthermore, it is possible for the city to do something about it. And I'll point to two examples quickly because my time's running out. Um, 10 years ago, there was a tree that the city wanted to cut down on 15th near the coffee hut. They were ready to go, chainsaws were out. We had a protest. The city came back and routed the sidewalk around the tree. It, so it can happen. Uh, on Friday, we had a trees cut down on 15th, for example, one that I'm familiar with is in front of the 7-Eleven. Beautiful tree, people use it for shade all the time, used it. Um, very easily could have been the same situation where the sidewalk was routed around the tree, maybe with a discussion of the prop with the property owner. Same situation as the one down by the coffee hut. It's gone. And, you know, if the city really believes in environmental justice, they need to take a pause on what's going on right now with the cutting down on these trees and reevaluate. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Winnick. Ms. White. Good evening, Council. I'm Janet Way with Shoreline Preservation Society. And I am here also to talk about the street trees issue on 15th and 155th. I don't know the total number. It's probably 40, 50 trees total being lost, maybe more. But it's completely unnecessary. Um, on 15th, it's most appalling because there will be no replacement trees. So all those people there that are losing their trees, they're out of luck, apparently, unless you change the policy. Um, how'd you like the heat island effect today? Did you all enjoy being out there in the, in the heat? Well, it's a lot worse when there's no shade on 15th and, and 155th when that happens. Um, imagine standing on 15th today where all the trees are gone and what it would feel like in that heat. Is that climate justice? It's a neighborhood that has you know, people that are not of great means, mostly. They're just regular people. On 155th, it's a great concern. There are seven trees in the buffer of Thornton Creek on 155th that are proposed for cutting. Right here, right above Twin Ponds Park. Sorry, I don't have a large map to show you. That's where Thornton Creek went through. Thornton Creek is the largest watershed and shoreline in Seattle. It's a salmon-bearing stream. And they're planning to cut six or seven trees in the buffer. I don't know, was there a SEPA? I tried to find out today, I don't know. Um, I believe that we need a pause. We need a study, especially these ones that uh, affect Thornton Creek. It's just, it's just inex inexcusable. There's plenty of ways to, we have, we've done it so many times. We've, we've done sidewalk alternatives here in Shoreline. Please ask the Public Works Department to study some alternatives, come up with a better plan. Right there on, on, by Twin Ponds Park, there's plenty of space where you could route around the trees, give the tree more room, leave the trees. They're beautiful sweet gum trees. They're gorgeous in the fall. So we're asking for a pause 
and study the issue, what's the rush? Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Boy. Okay, so next two are Vivian Corneliuson and Charles Anstend. I'm here to talk about street trees. And again, I, I am very upset about this. Huh? Oh, my name is Vivian Corneliuson. And, uh, and I live right off of 15th and uh, and I am losing all my trees. So when I go walking down the street, the concrete will be 45 degrees, up to 45 degrees hotter. The air around me, 10 degrees hotter. 90 degree day, well that air around me is going to maybe up to 100 degrees. Um, this is pretty upsetting because I like to walk down to the wood, wooded park down the street. I do walk down to Twin Ponds um, and to think that my, and I have a pea patch down there. The pollution from the, the runoff from losing these trees, uh, going into the streams, uh, heat island effect of, of the streams, this is all pretty upsetting to me. And what do I walk under now? There'll be no, no shading. I mean, so, so much of our area is prioritizing uh, bike, you know, we have to have room for bikes. We have to have room for bikes. Well, what happened to our trees? There's no, I mean, we got a climate change going on. We got a climate emergency. Our, our, our oceans are collapsing, but we're cutting down trees. Why is this? And, and with our uh, resolution 494, the mandate uh, street tree in identified heat zones be retained, was that ever passed? And then we had an urban tree canopy study in 2023 to verify the tree canopy. Has that been done? I'm real curious. So those are things I would like to know. And I would, you know, I want trees. I want, I want canopies, tree canopies. It's my mental health. It's my, it, it, it prevents asthma. Is there not, you know, trees has, have so many benefits to us. Trees with, with uh, streets with trees, they Ms. absorb Ms. Cornelison, unfortunately you're out of time. 60% Thank you. of air pollution. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening, Council. My name's Charles Anstead. I live just across the border into Lake Forest Park. I commute every day down 15th Avenue over to my office in the University District. And the tree-lined gateway to Shoreline coming and going really makes it much more pleasant. It's, it's just a, a very nice, pleasant, and it looks, it looks very attractive uh, for the town. Um, I am a full-time psychiatric provider, and I am a part-time uh, environmental activist. I'm connected with the Shoreline Preservation Society, the Lake Forest Park Stewardship Foundation, the core group, and also most recently Tree Action Seattle, which is the group that is what was instrumental in saving Luma the cedar tree. And I participated in a tree action with them earlier today. And the time to rethink the way we deal with our trees is, is upon us. Um, Today, for example, this year, this is the coolest 
coolest summer you are ever going to experience for the rest of your lives here. It is only going to get hotter. There are alternatives to taking out these trees. However, I sent an email, I left phone messages with um, the city manager and with uh, your public works uh, director, Tricia Junke, um, asking them uh, if there would be a good, if it wouldn't be wise to perhaps put a halt on the tree cutting, at least until the public could comment at today's city council meeting. I asked for a reprieve of one day. No response, anything. So I came back this morning from the tree action, and their Pacific Tree Company was, with their bucket trucks and everything, buzzing everything down. Why? I don't understand. Why, are the, why does the city government want to hide the fact? Why do they want to rush this through before a citizen comment can occur on this? I'm from Chicago. Dealing with city council there, you become a bit skeptical of promises and motivations for people. And something's fishy about this. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so next up is Betsy Binion and Paula Good. Hi, my name is, <clears throat> excuse me, my name is Betsy Binion. I live in Shoreline. Um, I'm sure that most people here have grandchildren or children. Anybody raise their hand? Yeah? Okay. No, you, don't, you guys don't have grandchildren? Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, we should be uh, looking ahead, way ahead, at our children and our grandchildren and their children, and nobody seems to be doing that. Uh, we need to halt or pause, at least, uh, the tree cutting that's coming up, or has already happened, can't do anything about that. But looking ahead, we need to look way ahead. We need to be looking at our kids. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Paula Good. I'm a citizen of Lake Forest Park. I'm a founding member of CORE. I own the Sheridan Market, and I'm in the way of having 450 trees move, removed from along Bothell Way. So what we're seeing now is engineering without environmental sensitivity, and I think that it's wrong. I don't agree with the pause. I say stop, because you're never gonna get the trees back, and you're never gonna regain the environmental protection that those big trees afford the community. So I stand in solidarity with these people here, and I know that our mayor is our mayor is is for the bus lane in Lake Forest Park, and, and he's probably going to be voted out. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Kathy Cornell. Oh, Como French. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I was trying to pledge the flag at the same time. Hi. Thank you. Um, you know, I heard on the radio a little while ago, it's very interesting, global warming is over. It's now boiling, global boiling. When paradise, Hawaii, is broken, 
broken because of global warming. Why do we have any right to think about cutting down one more tree, let alone for Lake Forest Park, I'm there, 454 more cement roads? This doesn't work. We are in charge now. It's our responsibility to take care of those trees. That's all. Thank you. Okay, so next up, I apologize, I can't read the first name here, but DeGra, DeGra, DeGrazia? I'm not sure if I'm, uh, my name's Martin DeGrazia, I'm not sure if I'm, this is where I wanted to speak, but I, I just found out about the acquisition of my neighbor's house. I live on Ronald Bog, and I'm not sure why we're the last ones to know. Um, that you acquire this house and you want to make it some sort of pathway to James Keel Park, I don't see how that's possible from where we're at, unless you're going to buy up all our houses. I plan on living in my house till the day I die. Um, I, I have a Ronald Bog photo blog, which I'm constantly putting pictures of the bog on there. I love the bog. But I, what's the plan? Can anybody tell me the plan? I mean, you're just going to clear her house and do what? I mean, I can't find anything about it. I just like to know what's going on. And why Why didn't somebody call me a couple hours ago and told me that what was going to happen is going to be at the Seattle Council meeting, or the Shoreline Council meeting. So here I am. What's going on? I just want to know. I love this neighborhood. I work in the neighborhood. I live in the neighborhood. I buy things in the neighborhood. This is my, this is my place. But... Why, why, don't, why don't I know what's going on? I guess that's all. Thank you. Susan Ardisano. So I'm Susan Ardisano. I'm also I'm one of Marty's neighbors. I live here in Shoreline. I think if I'm reading the agenda correctly, which I couldn't find all the notes online, Will there be a discussion and then there will be public comments on that particular item today? Then I'd like to defer my time. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's fine. And, and if, sir, if you want to speak again during that period, that's fine. Or we can use your comment and just apply it there. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so next up is Keen Andy. And Keen is uh, a remote speaker. Oh, okay. So are, just... are, are we done with the in-persons? Yes. All right, okay. So we're now going to go to the remote speakers. Uh, we'll take those in the order they've signed up, and then I'll ask the crowd if there's anyone who hasn't had a chance to speak but who would like to. <clears throat> go ahead when you're ready. Okay. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay. My my name is Keen Angie. We are Shoreline residents. Our condo is next to 15th Avenue Northeast and Northeast 152nd Street. <clears throat> my comment today is to plea on behalf of the tagged three street trees along 15th Avenue Northeast as well as the North 
155th Street. The irony of your justification of removal of many of these trees is to repair the sidewalk and curb. The decimation of the shady can uh, can canopy over these sidewalks would discourage residents from using the sidewalk, especially in the high temperature under the current climate change, which is now our new norm. With the, new, with the many new uh, condos and apartments in construction, we need more street trees, which is the few precious open space we can utilize for the growing of trees. These trees grow in confined spaces, fighting concrete over their roots, go through, go through rigorous pruning to avoid power lines, and they endure all this. I am, for one, really grateful. With the expected increase in shoreline population, we need to increase the planting rate of trees, keep as many mature trees as practical. We need to be more imaginative on how we can keep the mature trees as well as improve our infrastructure and increase housing. Many of these uh, tagged mature trees are next to untagged trees. Both are similar sized with no visible damage to sidewalk. So what's your justification? These mature trees bring higher property values, better neighborhood interaction, and lower crime rate. Let's work towards this ideal. Thanks for the opportunity to present my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Gail Jansen. Hi, my name is Gail Jansen, and I live in North Seattle. Um, it's very disheartening to watch mature tree after mature tree being cut down along 15th Avenue Northeast and North 155th Street for the sidewalk, city sidewalk projects. I wonder if this initiative would have passed had the voters known that so many trees would be cut down. I think they thought they were voting to replace broken sidewalks and make them wider if room allowed, but had no idea of the amount of trees that would be lost. In this day and age of increasing heat islands being created in the shoreline and surrounding cities due to development and tree removals, saving as many tree, mature trees as possible should be a high priority to help keep our cities cool. It's frustrating that with alternative sidewalk available, designs available nowadays, that shoreline decision makers seem so resistant to incorporating and saving trees in the sidewalk design. I think most people would prefer shade trees over amenity strips. I emailed a link in my written comments regarding details about the sidewalk project that was completed last fall along several blocks of Aurora Avenue North in Seattle. They were originally going to cut down all the large trees, but after reading 250 comments from people asking to save them, SDOT changed their plans and were able to fix the sidewalk and save the trees. I also included photos of how the sidewalk along the 103rd Avenue North section of the project looks today. So are you opening? Are you open to doing the same in Shoreline? Plans can be changed. Washout was going to cut down all the mature trees along Dayton Avenue North during their building renovation project a few years ago. But due to public outcry, the city and Washout worked together and changed the plans, which saved a majority of the mature trees with a permatrack elevated sidewalk. If political will is on board, we can save the trees or replace them if they can't be saved for some reason and still have new, improved, usable sidewalks. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Jansen. Next is Nancy Morris. 
Yes, Nancy Morris, resident of Shoreline. Can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead, go ahead whenever you're ready. All right, uh, yeah, I'm talking regarding the street trees. Uh, you, the council and city staff, profess to be concerned about heat island effects. It is disheartening to see that city staff continue to prioritize only the same straightforward infrastructure approaches without in-depth consideration of alternative ways to preserve trees and have pedestrian safe city sidewalks as well that could help reduce the heat island effects in our neighborhoods. Your current approach to sidewalks will add more cement, which is an impervious service. Its widespread use only leads to more greenhouse gas effects while destroying trees that help mitigate the heat island effects. Again, we are in a true climate emergency. We are in another serious heat wave. These will be ongoing and will undoubtedly get worse. Please take into account the seriousness of the heat island effect and its impact on social justice issues in neighborhoods now and in the near future and the effect on our neighborhoods, including at risk Northwest bird species, which are never considered on anyone's planning agenda and who live here too. Please consider sidewalk alternatives as much as possible for current tree projects on 15th Northeast and North 155th Street, overlay with their possible threats to Thornton Creek and for other future projects that place numerous right-of-way trees at risk. The City Council can take immediate action to request an evaluation of the trees on 15th Northeast and at least North 155th Street to retain more trees and use alternative designs for sidewalks. So I am asking you again to be the leaders we need in this critical time of climate emergencies. I mean, you really are going to have to step up and, a lot, and act much faster than you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Morris. Sarah G is next. Hello? We can hear you, go ahead whenever you're ready. Yes, this is Sarah Gungani, a Shoreline resident. Um, I'm speaking today uh, again about the removal of the additional 50 plus public street trees along 15th and 155th. As council is already aware that there are immense benefits of those established trees in our community, I won't uh, talk about that. Um, but the, the, the problem is that we have more residents moving into these higher density areas uh, as we um, have all these new buildings coming in more residents mean more people expected to use public transportation and sidewalks. Improving these sidewalks is important, but removing these trees is not an improvement. I'm asking that council seriously reevaluate the need to remove trees and consider alternate methods of sidewalk repair that have already been successfully used around the city. Please consider one of the city of Shoreline's uh, prime goals is to quote, ensure that there is no net loss of the city trees canopy coverage. One way of doing this is by regulating the rate of cutting and requiring replacement. Please consider a pause on cutting these valuable trees and evaluate more effective ways to make sidewalks accessible to all. Let our decisions now not be an example of how cities can expand uh, and destroy the environment, but how we can expand and protect the environment at the same time. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so the last person signed up for this comment period is Cap G. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead whenever you're ready. Hello, Council. This is Cap G, Shoreland resident. In this day of technology advancement, I find it very surprising that our Council cannot find 
solutions that can expand and build infrastructure while preserving the trees. I find it very ironic that City of Shoreline official emblem logo has trees on it while we are choosing to cut down trees after trees. The project signs on 155 says invest in community, but what future we could build without the trees? Please consider option to save the trees. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else signed up? Uh, the rest of the speakers are signed up for the agenda items to follow. All right, thank you. So we have two additional public comment periods on specific agenda items, one on the citywide moratorium uh, related to transit bus bases, and the second on the real property located at 2132 North 172nd Street. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to address us on a matter other than those two agenda items? If so, please go on up. And we are still well within our 30 minutes, so if you can just take two minutes, I'd appreciate it. So I can talk about the trees and a few other things. You, so, you can address us on anything you think is important. I own a company called Frank Lumber, the door store. And, uh, you know, the trees are important. And so is businesses in this community. And that's something that we're losing. We're losing the trees now that they're starting to cut. And with all of the um, business properties, or there isn't any more business properties because you're allowing all the apartments to come in and that's taken away all of our businesses. We've lost Sunny's, we've lost uh, a couple other businesses up there in North City and we need to get a comprehensive plan going to save the businesses. And I think the council should start paying attention to what's going on, especially with what, the, what your people in the city are telling you because they're, I've been lied to a number of times by your staff in the city. And I think you need to see what's happening, just like with the trees all going, okay? That's ridiculous. And with all the amount of the businesses that you've lost, where are people gonna eat, shop? You're gonna lose even a lot of businesses you don't even know right now because the developers are taking over. And so I need you to, step up like the lady said and start saying no to the developers and start thinking about businesses. I can't build anything in North City and I own a number of properties. And one of my properties is a house that we just remodeled on 12th. And you, the, the property taxes I pay on that house are more than the apartment house on, on 15th and 180th. Isn't that kind of ridiculous? For the next 20 years, that apartment house doesn't have to pay taxes because of your, the way you have things set up that they can put low rent housing in there and then not pay taxes on the building. And everybody should know this, that this is what they're doing. The, the developers are just running rampant and somebody's got to say no. Okay. Th thank you. Thank you. Is, is, there any, is there anyone else who would like to speak? All right, I'm going to go ahead and close the public comment period. I missed you. Yeah, okay, go, on, go for it. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. My name is Robert Shook, and I've been a resident of Shoreline all my life. I was just going to sit and listen, but all these great people that are speaking out, I, I'd feel horrible if I didn't say something. I'm here for the, saving the trees as well. Lived all my life, I'm seeing the canopy in the last 
well, really the last five years just disappear in Shoreline. I, thought, I saw a stat somewhere, I don't know if it's accurate, like we've lost something like 2,000 trees in the last several years. Cutting one more tree down to me just seems insane unless there's absolutely nothing, no way around it, but there seems to be many solutions. In some places there doesn't seem to be a reason to cut down the tree if the sidewalk in front of it is okay. It's like, it seems like if we cut down the one, we, I guess we just gotta take them all out on that street on 15th, marrying a hundred fifty fifth. There's a lot of people in the neighborhood I know that have no idea that that's happening just because they don't drive down that, those streets. My neighbors have no idea that these trees are being lost. Uh, the Shoreliner uh, magazine that comes out every, I can't remember, with weekly, monthly, or whatnot, it was a couple years ago, maybe it was last year, I remember this council declared a clim climate emergency. I'm not if those were the exact words that were used, but I remember that being in that magazine. I wrote to everybody, didn't get a response from anyone, like, why, why am I seeing the canopy being completely gutted if this is a climate emergency? If we are in a climate emergency, if you believe that, what is being done? Because I'm not seeing anything. I'm just seeing us go further down the road and we're not gonna be able to come back. Somebody else mentioned that. We're getting to a point where we're not gonna be able to come back. I've got a 14-year-old. I'm hoping he'll have kids one day. I'm hoping he'll be able to. I'm hoping there's gonna be a world he'll actually wanna live in. He sees it. He sees what's going on. Every day almost, he asked me, hey, I notice there's more treat. He, you know, he travels to him from school, soccer practice, whatever. He notices this, this too. We gotta come up with other ways to, to do this. Put some time in studying it at the very least and let the community know, because I guarantee you there'd be a lot more people down here if they knew about it. That's all I have to say, thank you. Thank you, anyone else? All right, I'm gonna close the public comment period. Next up is the consent calendar, Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the consent calendar. Second that. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Poby. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is the public hearing on already adopted ordinance number 991, the citywide moratorium on the filing acceptance, processing, and or approval of applications or permits for transit bus spaces. The way we're gonna do this is we're gonna get a short staff report, then open it up for public comments and close the public comment uh, period and have time for council discussion. This is an anomalous thing because we've already passed an emergency ordinance, so there will not be an action item following the council discussion. Good evening, Mayor and Council. This presentation informs the public hearing on adopted ordinance number 991. So this ordinance was adopted unanimously by City Council on July 17th. It instituted an emergency moratorium on transit bus spaces and individual transportation and taxi services in all zones and shoreline. This ordinance prevents any filing, processing, and or approval of all applications or permits for those two uses, while staff undertakes necessary analysis and study on these two uses. The purpose of the ordinance was to put a pause on accepting any applications for these two uses while we study where they should be allowed citywide. The moratorium is in effect for six months and it may be extended for up to a year if supported by a work plan or it may be renewed for one 
or more six-month periods following a public hearing and the adoption of findings of fact, supporting the continuation prior to each renewal. The public hearing has to be held within 60 days of ordinance adoption and is being held tonight 28 days after ordinance adoption. Staff proposes to work with the Planning Commission, proponents for transit bus spaces and individual transportation and taxi facilities, and the public to draft development code amendments to resolve the moratorium within the initial six-month period. The work is proposed to be accomplished as detailed on the slide seen here. Staff has started research that will continue into September to analyze where and under what conditions to allow the uses. Uh, this item will be discussed by the Planning Commission, who will hold a public hearing anticipated for October and November of this year. Then the Planning Commission will make a recommendation, which will move forward to the City Council for discussion and potential action in December and January. The six-month moratorium ends on January 17, 2024. If staff is unable to accommodate the schedule shown above, Council can choose to extend the moratorium for up to one year if supported by work plan or it can be renewed by one or more six-month periods. So the purpose of this public hearing tonight is to create a forum for the public to provide testimony to the Council on advantages or disadvantages of the moratorium and to provide suggestions for regulation of transit bus bases and individual transportation and taxi facilities uh, for city staff's work on this matter. It also satisfies state requirements for a public hearing within 60 days of the adoption of the ordinance. And that's all I have for you. All right, thank you, Ms. Lee. Now I'd like to open the public comment period. This is an opportunity for the public to comment on this ordinance. We're going to limit public testimony to three minutes per person and ask that you begin by your name and city of residence. And I know we have some registered, some speakers already registered to speak. Yes, we have two signed up for the public hearing, Sharon Leachner and Chris. Arkills. Arkills. Good evening, Mayor Scully, Deputy Mayor Robertson, and Council Members. My name is Sharon Lechner. I work with Black Brand LLC, which owns the site at 16325 5th Avenue Northeast, and I live in Anchorage. Black Brand is a joint venture between two Alaska Native corporations. We manage properties on behalf of 50,000 indigenous shareholders, primarily Aleuts, Alutics, Yupiks, and Cupics including many thousands of children, elderly, and disabled individuals. We hold our shoreline property to benefit those individuals, meaning rents directly support education, welfare, language retention, cultural programs, burial assistance, and other needs. We submitted written comments ahead of this hearing, and we further comment tonight to emphasize some points in our letter. Our site is where King County Metro manages the northern hub of its access program, which operates from the site since 2012 to provide accessible transit to elderly and disabled riders in the Shoreline and North Seattle communities. We question the city's emergency justification for the moratorium 
as the city has known about our program on this site since before we bought this property. The city's knowledge of the use is entirely undisputed from the city's permit records, the council's 2012-2013 work program, and the city's public meeting notices when the program was initially established. Therefore, we do not agree that there is a permitting issue or that the moratorium applies to this site. King County is not proceeding with its purchase and therefore we are now forced to find a new buyer who will redevelop the property in accordance with Shoreline's comprehensive plan. But in the meantime, we ask the city to allow the existing already permitted use to continue for three to five years when the use will absolutely terminate. The request benefits all parties. Local high paying Teamster jobs are preserved. The city avoids the eyesore of a boarded up building our shareholders benefit because they receive rental income, and for Native Alaskans living in remote conditions where a gallon of milk costs $15, this literally means food on the table for thousands of families, and transportation services for Shoreline's most vulnerable citizens continue without risk of interruption. We understand the city has not yet accepted our request, but we ask you to consider it. Please understand that agreeing to our request in no way delays the property's redevelopment since permitting and financing will take the new property owner years in any case. We would be happy to discuss our proposal further with you directly and you can comment, com, um, contact me later. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Arkelis. Arkels. <laughs> I, I've known Mr. Arcos yeah. for quite a while, and I've, I've been corrected on his name enough times that I can start doing it for others. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Good evening, Mayor Scully, Scully Deputy Mayor Robinson, and uh, Shoreline City Council members. I'm commenting on behalf of uh, King County Metro on item 8A. Um, as required by the American with Disabilities Act, ADA, uh, King County Metro's Access Paratransit Program provides paratransit services for those who are unable to use the uh, accessible fixed route services. Metro Access riders need this service to get to critical appointments and have access to the same mobility opportunities that many of us enjoy. Metro currently operates its federally required access service out of our leased shoreline access base property located at 16325 Fifth Avenue Northeast. The moratorium passed on July 17th has created uncertainty surrounding essential service to ADA riders in shoreline and its vicinity. Our comments today tell the story of an affected Metro bus base, which we understand is the reason for the moratorium. The current base is exceedingly unique in its size and location. It's going to be hard to replace and is essential. The Fifth Avenue property has capacity for 100 ADA vans and employs 30 staff. It was exceptionally, exceptionally difficult to find and secure the site 10 years ago and has provide, provide, proved invaluable to riders in the area during its 10-year service period. For context, in 2022, there were 2,168 registered access riders living in Shoreline and 5,606 unique, unique rides from Shoreline residents were taken. In 2022 uh, alone, um, uh, Metro deployed 118,875 rides from the base. The site is ideally situated near thousands of riders with good access to I-5 and is operated without any known negative community or planning issues since its inception. 
In February of this year, the current property owners notified Metro that they were interested in selling the property. Uh, because of the difficulty in securing bases like this, once Metro heard about a potential sale, they initiated a good faith meeting with the City of Shore Lane on March 23rd to inform staff of the risk that the base would no longer operate under new ownership and they accessed property's intent to acquire the property to ensure and maintain service. In, a, in that March 23rd meeting, Metro learned that Shoreline ha, had a vision for the Ridgecrest neighborhood that did not include Metro's operations. We communicated the risk to our, its service that alternative uses at that location would mean and that Metro was open to all options to redevelop this site in partnership, including co-location of services and consideration of all ideas to achieve our mutual future, future goals. King County Metro and Shoreline met again on uh, June 1st. Metro again communicated its new term interest in securing this site. Metro also communicated that moving operations takes extensive planning, which is unlikely to be completed in fewer than three years. Metro stated in June that it was still in our best interest to acquire this property and pledged to work with the city of Shoreline. We were informed of the emergency um, moratorium ordinance on July 17th, the same day it was scheduled for a vote and subsequently passed. McKinney County Metro terminated negotiations for acquiring this property due to the moratorium and the uncertainty surrounding this specific property. And we notified the property owner of the issues with the current uh, permitting of the base. The effect of the moratorium is that we Metro has no mechanism to resolve any permitting issues in the near, near term. It remains essential for King County to acquire property for access services to provide certainty for our vulnerable riders. I know I'm out of time. I was going to say some inspiring words about our long partnership with uh, Shoreline, but I'll stop that. Thanks. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Are there any other pre-registered speakers? Not for this item. Would anyone else like to address Council on this item only? All right, I'm now gonna close the public hearing. Ms. Lee, can I invite you back up? And we have already taken action on this, but if there are council questions or comments, this would be the appropriate time for them. All right, can, can you bring us up to speed on the current status of the, we're, we're, it, the city's position is that this is not a permitted use, but we are allowing it to continue operating. I know there have been staff discussions with the property owner and with Metro regarding continuing the bus base while we resolve the moratorium issue. Can you bring us up to speed on that, as well as remind us of what council's role, if any, there is in that particular process? I don't think that I'm the best person to speak to that. I mean, I'm mostly here as a land use expert, and my role sure. is researching that. Yeah. Mr. Ellington. And staff has met with both the property owner as well as Metro and have been in communication with the um, tenant um, and we um, have made the commitment to continue to work with them on the length of time um, and um, finding an appropriate location for um, their permanent facility. All right, and my, my belief is that that is a decision that's made by staff and that we are welcome to provide input, but without yes. an action item before council, that's not a council decision, is that accurate? Correct. Yeah, all right. All right, any other questions or comments from council? Okay, um, I would just close that there has been, I, I see it, but we've only got public comment during designated periods. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, is this better? Okay, all right, I apologize for that. Um, I want to reiterate our commitment to Metro. I mean, we found a space 10 years ago that was intended to be short term, and I think this went on longer than any of us have hoped, and also to express a commitment to making sure every property owner, particularly one that represents shareholders, um, like yours, 
um, it gets a fair shake and shoreline. Our vision for that area sort of ties into earlier public comment. We want to see businesses grow there, and that's a large swath of property that can be used for a lot of purposes. I think long term, the economic benefits to Black Branch are going to be greater with this than with the short-term sale, although I understand the frustrations. And we are very committed, speaking for myself, but I think for the city, we are very committed to making sure that Metro does have a facility in Shoreline to operate those vital services. So this is not done. Um, I wanna also add that this is the second moratorium we've ever done in my 12 years on council. The last one lasted six months, and my hope is this one lasts six months, and that this not become something that just drags on and on. So I think staff is committed to working to expeditiously resolve it, and hopefully this comes back to us with a solution rather than a request for another extension. Any other comments from council based upon what I've said? No, okay, thank you very much, Ms. Lee. Next up is action item 8B. It is action on the purchase of real property located at 2132 North 172nd Street. We're gonna do a similar thing. We're gonna have a short report from staff, then public comment. We have not taken action on this item yet, so following uh, the public comment, then we may uh, take council action on it. And it looks like Mr. Dom will be presenting. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Great to meet with you. Tonight. So as you mentioned, we're here to discuss the potential acquisition of property to uh, expand Ronald Bog Park. Uh, I won't belabor the details of the pros plan and other kind of guiding doc documents, but they are just also sort of highlighted here for reference, um, but uh, in provided in more detail within the staff report. Um, in addition to the pros plan, a sub-area parks and open space plan was conducted, um, a study conducted to identify park acquisitions and improvements that would be adequate for uh, keeping pace with growth as the light rail sub-areas uh, were built out. And uh, the Ronald Bog Park was, uh, was highlighted in particular in that document as well. And so, uh, you know, many years later, here we are, and a uh, property has come for sale on the market. And um, when it was listed in June, it came on the market at 930000 We asked our agent to engage uh, with the property owner and do a limited kind of market analysis and came with a recommendation of about a 4% lower than list price offer, which the seller was very thrilled about, I think, in particular. The, the sort of legacy idea that the home could continue to serve uh, as a home for people to recreate and, and as a natural area for the community. It is a part of a kind of a whole row of private properties um, adjacent to Ronald Bog, which again, you know, as willing sellers maybe come to the market, perhaps could be considered. Um, however, the site itself uh, has been determined by parks and recreation staff to be adequate on its own as a small pocket park or a small open space or a small gathering space and provide uh, potentially some waterfront access uh, from the south side. So um, this uh, purchase would be funded through um, park impact fees, uh, at least initially, uh, but the city would intend to apply for conservation futures tax 
grant dollars to uh, fund potentially up to 75% of the cost, which we've done successfully in other locations in the city. Um, not always. We, we always try to get as much support from that fantastic program as we can, and sometimes they say yes, and sometimes they say no. Um, but staff does feel confident this would be a really strong application for that program. Um, of course, we could use general fund balance um, as well, but uh, those are some of the options. And park impact fees are paid by the development community at the time of a permit of a building, so um, it's uh, the intention there is for growth to pay for growth. And then there's some additional follow-on costs uh, estimated around 210000 for um, some limited planting, demolition and kind of limited clearing and planting. And that would most likely be park impact fees as well. So the proposed action uh, for your uh, consideration tonight would be authorizing the purchase and moving forward with uh, towards closing. Um, details are there on that screen for you. and. We've prepared a draft motion to kind of make it easy to move that, uh, should you choose to do so. Um, as was mentioned, this is, uh, un we're following rules of procedure 61B, so that order is this staff report, uh, followed by public comment, and then council review will follow that. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to open it up for public comment. Thank you. I'd like to open the public comment period. This is an opportunity for members of the public to address this on this agenda item only. I know you spoke earlier. If you want to speak again, you're welcome to, or we will certainly consider what you said earlier as part of this discussion. Um, I'll now open the public comment period. Do we have any persons signed up in advance? I, I, I see it. Well, I'll call on you, but let's get the people who signed up in advance first, if there are we any. We do. Okay. Uh, Rachel Hansen is first. Okay. Hello, my name is Rachel Hansen, and I'm a Shoreline resident and a parent of a student at Meridian Park Elementary. And I wanted to express that the members of the council should be aware that existing residential owners' unwillingness to sell other lots could significantly curtail the city's ability to make effective use of the acquisition in question. I would also like to note something that is not mentioned explicitly in the materials, which is that the street access to this parcel and those that neighbor it is directly opposite the only vehicle entrance to Meridian Park Elementary. At a quarter of an acre, this property accounts for less than 5% of the targeted expansion for this year that is noted in the documents at five acres and it accounts for only one quarter of 1% of the total 95 additional acres needed citywide. That means that <clears throat> this potential acquisition realizes a very small part of the goal, and it bears repeating that this particular property would come with a lot of complicating factors should a larger scale undertaking be pursued. This is including, but not limited to, its proximity to a school zone and protected wetlands. Um, the city's vision for this area <clears throat> should take into account the complexity of the potential impact so near to a school zone and additionally whether, as you've heard, other property owners on the south side would be willing to sell to the city. It's an unknown variable that should not be dismissed. Uh, in fact, the discussion section of the agenda item acknowledges that it's unlikely that a new buyer would be willing to sell it to the city. And I can t attest to the fact that my neighbors in the area surrounding this parcel are making improvements to their homes, adding solar panels, maintaining landscaping, and et cetera. I would like to ask that um, 
further clarity be given about the long-range approach and what the anticipated timeline would be for um, bringing, quote, the full south waterfront of Ronald Bog into public ownership. And secondly, I would also like clarity about when the near term is discussed, the park or um, parcel functioning as its own a natural open area, what would the anticipated timeline for that be? Thank you. Thank you. And, and I didn't shut that down earlier, and I apologize. We, we, we discourage clapping. I mean, it's, I understand there's probably only going to be one perspective here, but when we have two perspectives, you get clapping and you get a lot of unhappiness in the audience. So if we, ma'am, you're welcome to come on up. Again, Susan Artisano. Um, I live on 172nd Street, and I'm a lifelong uh, member, uh, resident of Shoreline before we were even a city. Um, overall, I just want to say my husband and I, huge support and um, consumer of the, the parks in the city. So we, so supportive of that. Do have a couple of concerns. One of them has to do with just the overall communication on this topic. I mean, just my neighbor texted me today and said, Here's, here's something that popped up. I read everything that comes in the city. I will admit I don't go in and read the agenda and notes every week, and I probably will start doing that. Um, my other concerns, though, are parking. Um, we already have people coming down trying to access the park, and right now there's not access on our street. So I'm wondering about what, what that might look like in terms of people using the park. I also am concerned because Ronald Park has a history of um, homeless people camping there, whether, I mean, and we'll call if we see it, but there seems to be pe frequent people who look like they're just parked there in the park, but they're actually overnight camping um, and then panhandling on the street. So I worry about this. This feels like a pocket park right now. And um, so I'm concerned about parking. I'm concerned about the other illegal use of the um, public space and just kind of curious about how that might be addressed. So, thank you. Thank you. Would anyone else like to speak on this agenda item? Would you like to add anything else? Yeah, please. Let's go into the full three minutes. Martin DeGrazio, I probably don't need that. But, um, so I saw something that was supposed to be connected to James Keel Park, which is kind of a block away and um, I guess east of the where this is going in and I don't see how that's really feasible um, and let you know if you wanted to take something along the freeway I could see where you could connect the two parks going underneath the freeway or something but um, I was a kid once I'm sure that's where you'd party because there's people do it already I, we live on a dead end, but there's a street, street through street. And kids come there all the time in their cars and do their thing. And I have seen quite a few people over at Ronald Bog uh, that you wouldn't want around your neighborhood. I'd hate to see them you know, right in our neighborhood. I mean, I like I said, I have a Facebook page called Ronald Bog Photo Blog, and I mostly photo wildlife, but I see some true wildlife over there that I don't post. I would just hate to have it in our neighborhood. I raised my kids there, and I knew, now i got neighbors who've got young kids, and uh, 
I think it's safe. I, um, I put on a car show for the kids at Meridian Park Elementary. We raised $50,000 over that seven years with that car show to help the kids at the school. I, I just, things are getting crazy everywhere. And I just, I don't know if that's such a good idea to put it there. Um, we have a community pool at the end of the block already. And on a hot day like today, all our parking gets taken up. And then, like she said, this, right now it's a small park. Uh, unless you buy some more homes up. Which uh, everybody asked me, when are you going to move, Marty? I said, I'm not going to move. I'm going to die in this house. I, I have otters come up to me in my backyard. Uh, geese lay their eggs on my property. Um, I posted pictures of the blue heron yesterday. It's like it's just a, it's been a great place for the last 20 years, and I feel like I live above my means. I've never had a ton of money. I don't know why I got that house so cheap. Um, I I just love it there, and I I want it to stay. I don't know if my kids will be able to afford a house. You know, hopefully they'll get mine. Everything, my, I bought that house for 330 not that long ago, and now it's probably a million dollar house. It's like beyond my means. But um, I just wanted to be safe. It's been a great place. I always felt like I had one of the best places to live because we're on a dead end, community pool, grade school, everything I ever wanted. I guess that's it. Thanks. Thank you. Would anyone else like to address this on this agenda item? I'm going to go ahead and close the public Mayor hearing. Mayor uh, Kathleen Russell has signed up. She's remote. Oh, okay. I apologize. That we were done with people signed up. Go ahead. Ms. Russell, go ahead when you're ready. Thank you. Kathleen Russell, Shoreline resident on behalf of Safe Shoreline Trees. Agenda item 8B, the property at 2132 North 172nd Street, includes the staff recommendation that the city purchase this property for an extension to Ronald Bach Park. Page 8B-3, quote, expansion of Ronald Bog Park includes opportunities to protect and enhance watershed health and would be supported by scoring based on the urban heat island effect. My comment relates directly to your consideration and discussion. The public works projects along 15th Avenue Northeast and North 155th overlay project are creating heat islands. Ms. Russell, you need to address your comments to this agenda item, which relates to the acquisition of this property, not the project on 115th. Okay, thank you. Do you have anything further? No, I do not. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Do we have any? Can I speak? Sure, go for it. My name is Shelby Brewster, and I share a house with a lady at uh, 2110 North 172nd Street. I didn't get to prepare any remarks. I found out about this meeting only about 40 minutes ago, and that kind of shocks me in and of itself. There have been other things that seemingly have gone on in this town over the last few years, and suddenly the city has taken a lot of action, and I just feel like um, it's it's you, you try to get stuff under the radar or whatever. This thing with this house now on 172nd, what's next? And how long has that been in your plans 
to go after that house or another one on the street, and what's the next one? Um, I don't know, has anybody else got an opinion about this? Because it, it really makes me angry, and there's no way I were going to find any way to support this. Whatever, you know, I will put out placards on the intersections or whatever, because I feel like we've been hoodwinked. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Would anyone else like to speak? Anyone else signed up remotely? No, I, I right. believe we're finished. Now I'm going to close the public comment period. This is an action item, so we usually start with a motion. Would a council member like to make a motion? Deputy Mayor. I move to approve the acquisition of the property located at 2132 North 172nd Street, identified by the tax parcel number as listed on page one of the staff rep report, and authorize the city manager to take the necessary steps to complete the property purchase. Is there a second? Second. All right. Would you like to speak to your motion? Sure. Um, I have, maybe I'll start with a question for Mr. Dom to um, address some, I mean, we've had heard several concerns here tonight, but one of them is around the long range vision. Um, how, how you put a, a map up there that had a big, you know, chunk of properties with a red line around them. Could you talk more about the timeline and, and what that vision and the reality is of that, that picture, that image with the red box? Yeah, you bet. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so I would, I would say that, uh, Realistically, the uh, timeline is is uh, is not set. Uh, it really would be just as willing sellers come forth uh, who are interested in selling to the city for park purposes, and uh, and so that's a very long timeline potentially onto infinity. And I think that's what we find with most of the city's parks acquisitions are, generally speaking, uh, we uh, wait until there's you know a willing seller that's interested in selling to the city. Um, and uh, try to avoid, I think council generally speaking has tried to avoid going into condemnation uh, for park acquisitions and that's why these park plans are very long time horizon um, and filled with many opportunities or many goals and realistically we aren't going to probably achieve all of them, right? But uh, the, the idea being that we identify these general opportunities around the city uh, where where we have funding and the timing is right and we have a willing seller that will want to proceed with those. Those are kind of goals set by the community and previous councils and we're in the midst of a parks and recreation open space plan and art plan update now as you know uh, and that will help to continue to refine and direct uh, our activities in that area as to where those priorities will be going forward. Um, so yeah there's not a very detailed plan for timeline of that or other parcels and again you know this particular parcel wasn't in our sites in particular uh, until the moment it, it hit the market and we uh, went went into action per the plans that we have uh, on the books. So there's no plan to aggressively go after neighboring properties? That is correct. No plan whatsoever for, for further acquisition or, or exploration of those other parcels. Okay thank you. So we talk a lot on this council and we have uh, for years about the growth that's happening in our community, the number of people are moving here, the amount of park space and green space um, that we want to make sure is available for the growing population. So this is 
this is one of those opportunities. We know that land is only getting more expensive and the opportunity to add to our green space and open space public space, um, uh, you know, properties is only going to get more and more expensive. So again, here's the, here's the opportunity that we have um, with a willing seller and a piece of land that abuts Ronald Bog Park. Another thing we talk about is walkability and access. So yeah, there is access to Ronald Bog Park off of 175th and the highway. And that doesn't mean that there's access to the members of the community who are going to be able to walk there. We don't see this, I don't see this ever turning into a massive destination for people to drive to and for cars to park alongside. I'm not familiar with the pool. I think I, think I know which pool you're talking about. I don't know what about that operation and how many cars it attracts, but this little piece of access would open up the otters and the ducks uh, to members of the community who might not otherwise be able to access it and have those experiences themselves and not just as pictures on social media. We spent the first half hour of this meeting listening to members of our community talk about trees and mental health and access to green things. This is part of that. It's not just trees that make this city a, a green and wonderful place to be and live and to have equitable access to those spaces. So that's why I'm supporting this particular um, purchase. I don't know where it's going to go in the future. It may have the opportunity to expand. It may not. But I still think it's worth it. Thank you. Other council comment or questions? Councilmember Moore. Uh, thank you. Mr. Dom, can you uh, speak a little bit about James Keogh Park and the proximity that's been brought up as a possible access to there? In a very limited way, yes. Uh, as as I often, maybe maybe too often, remind council, I'm in a generally real estate acquisition uh, sort of step in the process. Um, and uh, but our parks fleet and facilities manager Nick Bohr has. Uh, has talked with some enthusiasm about the opportunity to connect these two parks uh, by additional additional parkland on the southern side of Twin Ponds. Um, and so this is a great opportunity in his mind to do so. Um, he's, uh, I believe that the city is engaged in um, uh, improving or, or at least trying to connect some of the access on right of way that we currently already do own. Um, between those two parks and have identified a couple of opportunities to do so um, or, or areas of improvement along the uh, I'm not sure if we have unopened right of, right of way or if it is um, or if it's blocked in some way by vegetation or personal property but I know that um, there is some work underway at the staff level again less in real estate where I kind of operate and more in park maintenance and, and operations and design um, where, where it relates to the right-of-way that the city already does own and may not have full use of at this time for public use. So um, I don't know if that gave you a good enough answer to I, the question, I, but... I think it's helpful. I mean, I, I, if, if it was possible for you to put it back on the screen, your picture, where we can see the, the two. So I think what you said, if I understand correctly, is, is that the city is... Uh, preparing for uh, possible options and with the major uh, idea of having access on 
the south side of Ronald Bog Park as opposed to only on the north side. Is that a way to look at it? That's right, yes. And then, as I said, the um, uh, there is right-of-way between there and James Keough, um, which may need some work on, on our end uh, to open that up or make it more accessible. So it's a, in the short term, it's a misnomer. In the longer term, it may be possible. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes, I think that's right. And it may not be uh, extremely long term. It okay. may not be as quick as the closing of a real estate mm -hmm. acquisition might be. Okay. Well, I'll thank you. Uh, I would like to thank the deputy mayor for making a, a speech that I wish I could have made. Uh, we have, we in Shoreline are very concerned about our trees and our park access, and and we want to have more availability, more ability to do this. And we're not going to. We're not interested in condemning property. We're not interested in running people off their what they own. But if some something comes up where it's in the public benefit, it would seem um, short-sighted to not take action when once somebody moves to a glorious place like that, they're likely to stay. So thank you for your help, uh, Mr. Dom, in putting together this proposal. And that is. Uh, why I support it is, is that I think the public does need green spaces to go to. Thank you. Other comments? Councilmember Pelley. Thank you, Mayor. And, and Mrs. Dunham, just want to clear my mind on this. Now we want to make the city of Shoreline a livable place for everybody that comes in. I'm just curious, should the city move forward to purchase this property, is it going to hinder neighbors from living differently from the way they are living now in any way? Um, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to answer that question, but I, th I think to maybe the direction that you're going is, um, you know, what sort of designs do we have on this and, and how it might impact others. And I think, uh, for, you know, I would say we see this opportunity really specific to this parcel um, from the conversations that I've had with, with other members of, of, of staff. Um, and really, the uh, in, in, it may take many years to acquire others. Maybe, I think, as Deputy Mayor Robertson said, maybe it will expand, but maybe it will only really be limited to this one parcel. And I think that we consider that to be a meaningful improvement to the overall park network uh, and, and, a, and a benefit to the community even if it means there's no change to the lives of everyone else on that street. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe the point that you're trying to get to. Yeah, that's, that's one part of it, but also what Deputy Mayor asked, and which I really appreciate the honest uh, honesty in the response. We don't know, as it stands today, what the future holds. And we all can go to bed and not wake up tomorrow. We, can, we cannot question anybody. So I love that. What I'm getting to is we have funds, funds available, we have the money available, and it's an opportunity to capitalize on that and just make the purchase. But what I wanted to hear is now, immediately, not the future, because we don't know right now if we should purchase. Are we hindering anybody's life? Are we preventing people from living and going and coming in the way they are doing already? Not to That's my knowledge. I, okay. Yeah, I believe our plans would be really limited to just within the parcel boundaries of the proposed acquisition. 
making that available for the public and and leaving the rest of the street um, to their you know to, to, to use their properties as they see fit okay in mayor if I may add and if we are successful in, in using the CRT funding that then significantly limits the type of uses that we can put on the property and it will actually have to stay in a more natural state Councilmember thank you thank you mayor it will have to stay what uh, I didn't hear the last few words okay it, it's the, with the CFT funding we're required to put onto the deed a restriction that lasts into perpetuity of development of no more than 15% of the parcel so the 85% remains as natural open space um, thank you mayor I I think everybody on this council is hearing the nuances of a new thought from the neighbors and we we're, we're listening however we have certain things that we've been told this will be a voluntary purchase and there's absolutely no condemnation that we are seeing in any future for this block correct it's if it's available if we can purchase it so be it can you assure the public because I may not be on the council but that's what I'm feeling that we were told it's this strip is for voluntary purchase versus you know we're not going to condemn your property I mean that's just something I think I'm hearing some you know people don't know what we do <laughs> until they come here right so Nathan could you answer that just well, Sorry. Oh, no, no, go yeah. ahead. I'm going to save you from that one because oh, I, I, yeah. I think the, the, the procedural answer is neither Mr. Dom nor us can bind future councils. And I'm comfortable saying I have no intent of doing yeah. that. It sounds like you don't. Yeah. And I don't. And I, I guess the, the question you can answer is does staff have any plans at the moment to proceed with any kind of proceeding other than voluntary sale for any of those properties? And I can no. live with that. That's, yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much, Mayor. We have no, no designs on the other properties in any way, shape, or form. And certainly there is no contemplation of any recommendation around, uh, you know, uh, condemnation proceedings on any of these parcels. Um, it's, yes, the, the, really the vision would be should there be willing sellers at some future date, We'd be back before you with a similar opportunity if we were so fortunate as to be and, in a position. And that's how this property came up. We we didn't even have it on our radar screen. You had a willing seller who thought this would be better use in perpetuity, right? To, to have this as open property for for the rest of the um, city to be able to use. So, with that being said with neighbors who are still there, and many of them will probably still be there, are we at least minimum, you know, funding to make sure that that property is not opening up access to other people's property? Because I've not really gone down there and looked at each property, but that's what I'm hearing. A little concern for, you know, overnight camping that's already happening one place. Is it gonna bleed over? So. What I would say is, again, I'm, I'm writing promises or writing checks for the parks team to, to cash, but I know they do a really wonderful job yeah. of community engagement. So there's, there'll be ample opportunity for public input and engagement, um, and that will, the, the input of the community will be taken into account with park design and um, our, our outstanding police forces here, and, and does a great job in advising us when it comes to SEPTED, crime prevention through environmental design, all those factors will be brought into the park design process as they are 
um, and including the, I don't want to belabor the point, but the, the public involvement component um, will certainly be uh, robust as, as we always do when we get down to the point of actually designing park improvements in a space. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that, most of us know that, and I think when people come here who have no clue what's been going on, I just want some assurance for them that there is a pretty robust process even after acquisition. The other um, question I had actually was the overnight camping, because that's always been an issue with me. We are trying to keep overnight camping from not happening. and. Uh, in our city, and we actually passed something, right, to to prevent that from happening in parks. Um, you know, the layover of somebody hanging out there um, because they they have nowhere else to go. Is that? Am I correct in that? Because that sounds like could be a, another issue that's already happening at, at the bog area. Yeah, I took a note on that to uh, bring that up with Thank our you. park. Yeah, and I'm just kind of voicing questions because now they can't ask these questions. Um, because I have a lot of confidence in our staff and that we have had a lot of information given to us and we were very excited about this um, potential voluntary acquisition and I, I still am. However, I do feel personally that, that we've heard some issues and, and we'd like to be able to pass that on. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Ms. King. Um, I just wanted to clarify a couple of things. Um, I believe what uh, Councilmember Council McConnell's talking about is that our parks are open during certain times and closed during certain other times, um, and that would apply to the, our park system, I believe is what you're alluding to. And uh, the funds that we're using to purchase this property does not allow condemnation. Um, so you, you can only do a voluntary purchase with the funds that are being used. You could not uh, use those funds to involuntarily purchase property and the 85% native vegetation as well. All right, I had a couple comments and I'll reopen it to everyone. Um, these, everybody wants parks except there are impacts of opening a park in your neighborhood. We hear these fairly frequently. We acquired or in the process of acquiring beach on Puget Sound that's at the end of a, a dead end road. Um, and the folks there are concerned with crap traffic, they're concerned with crime, and they're losing their private beach. And I hear that, but I also want everybody to have access to otters, you know? I mean, so we're trying to do this in a way that's respectful, but I recognize that this is not necessarily a good thing for all of you. I mean, you're losing a private thing, and I, I hear that. Um, a couple of things I want to point out. Um, there's a map you had, and there's got an area which has a bunch of little grass and stuff on it, and the, that, that area is the wetland. So a lot of those parcels were grandfathered in. The houses are built in such a way they wouldn't be allowed to be built now. And you, you can keep them. No one's ever going to say you have to leave there. You are, you're limited to, to I mean, you're entitled to keep it, and you're entitled to fix it and repair it and expand on it to a certain percentage. But on those parcels, I think folks may find that they're not really redevelopable. So it's not going to be someplace that you're going to be able to turn into a mega mansion and make a million dollars off of. That's just, a, just not the nature of that kind of a parcel. And I don't know what the current seller had in mind or went through, but I expect some may be willing to sell to the city who will pay at market rate eventually. 
There is no master plan to condemn or to take away. We don't have that. And I personally, I don't want to do that here because I, you know, I have been down that street. I think it's a really cool little neighborhood and I don't want to disrupt it. I want to find, see if we can find a way to open it up to others. A couple other comments. Um, there's an area on the script compass directions, but on the northeast side over by the freeway, it's got a bunch of dense blackberries and there have been issues in the past, I don't know right now, with folks camping there. I don't see a single family parcel that becoming a problem, but there's the police chief and the operations captain. <laughs> and they work closely with, uh, their officers work closely with outreach workers and we're trying really hard to make sure that doesn't happen. I can pretty much guarantee you that if a parcel this small this close to residences, we're having problems, that will be a priority. Because it's one thing to have drinking in the park that's up the street from you, it's another to have late night drinking in the park that's literally next to your side fence. So that's a commitment I think I'm personally willing to make that we will make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm acknowledging that there will be some impacts to this, for sure. It's not necessarily going to be a 100% good thing. But given everything that's been said, I am comfortable supporting this and I think in the long term, I hope it's not a great impact, and I encourage you to keep in touch with us, assuming this passes, um, if there are problems that arise. Are there any other comments that would like to be made? No. All right. Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. All right, the motion passes unanimously. That concludes this action item. Next up is study item 9A, which is a discussion of the 2022 police services report. Thank you, Mr. Dom. And I believe Chief Park and the captain will be uh, presenting. I'm sorry, we're dealing with computer logistics. Thank you, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council for having us here tonight. Um, as mentioned, uh, this is a discussion of the 2022 Police Services Report. So uh, the dates that are reflected here, the percentages are up to December 31st, 2022. That being said, um, this is the first time as Chief that I'll be presenting this. Uh, brought our Operations Captain here to assist as well. He wasn't here for 2022, so I'm grateful for his assistance tonight. Um, and with this, the plan moving forward is to do this in a much more timely manner. So hoping spring rather than late summer so we can have a little bit better timing and make some adjustments and pivots as needed moving forward. And we're just gonna go back and forth. Captain. Very good. Uh, thank you, members of the council. So I wanted to discuss our police staffing and where we stand uh, currently. We have current numbers as of this morning. So uh, what you know is that we are allotted 50 commissioned officers. So those are officers that are able to, in effect, an arrest, if you will, from our chief down. 
We are currently sitting, uh, generally speaking, at, an, at a 20% vacancy. So we have 10 vacant positions here in the department. Most of that is felt with the traffic unit that previously ex existed before we had, obviously, changes in the labor market and the production force that we have. We are working aggressively to fill those. Obviously, as a contract partner with the King County Sheriff's Office, we have all of their recruiting resources. I was encouraged that as of today, we have five what we call phase two deputies. So these are deputies that are new from the academy assigned to Shoreline for their training and development. This is advantageous for Shoreline in two ways. One is that it gives us an opportunity to get them used to the city and acclimate them and also train them in sort of the ways of Shoreline. Every contract city has its own character, personality and community. And I think that these five are going to give us a very, very good start. We know uh, not all will be successful. But we're very encouraged and we think that that will go a long way towards reducing uh, our current vacancy rate and ideally get us set up for if all goes well the restoration of at least a partial traffic unit by quarter one of next year we want to speak a little bit to to some uh, additional moves that we have set for 2023 things that are already in motion one of those being able to fill our set sergeant position uh, which was extremely important to us because of the high liability of that particular role. Um, and just to be able to expand what that team is capable of um, with a force multiplier there. Um, our next move will be our Joe Montserrat, who's one of our master police officers and trainers. Um, this all is contingent upon the success of these training deputies. So they successfully complete the program, move into phase three, and we can make the additional moves. So Joe will be the next one to fill one of our vacant uh, criminal investigation unit spots. And um, we're trying to do these moves very um, thoughtfully and make sure that we're not moving too quickly and just spreading um, the resources as best we can in a very thoughtful manner. Okay. So moving on to the calls for service, dispatch calls for service and uh, police contacts in, in 2022. Um, as you can see, uh, Shoreline officers responded to almost 15,000 dispatch calls for services in 2022 with an additional 210 alternate call handling reports. These are reports that are made online. Um, this was occurring, these online reports, the first quarter of 2022. This is not something as a contract city that we wanted. We wanted people to be able to pick up the phone, call 911 and have an officer respond. Once I was made aware of this issue, I quickly contacted the comm center supervisor, uh, made sure that they know if you're getting one of these calls, that's a lower priority. Shoreline still wants a cop to respond. So made that pivot and adjustment. Um, that doesn't stop people from being able to organically find our CopLogic program online and file an online report if they choose to do that and don't want a, an, an officer to respond. Um, but that uh, is a contributing factor to the increase from 2021 to 2022 in those numbers, which we quickly put a stop to. Our on-view activity has risen, and this is very encouraging to me, despite the fact that um, end of year last year, we were in pretty dire straits with regards to staffing. So our police on-view action is, uh, was up to almost 11,000 contacts. Um, and this again was a total of police contacts for uh, 25,656 total contacts for the year. Um, of our dispatch calls for service, they've leveled off a little bit since 20, 2018. Um, 2022, we made a total of 862 arrests. 22 of those were juvenile. So 
We next would like to speak to the response times. So the way that every uh, police call for service that comes in is prioritized from priority X, which is the highest priority. That's typically, typically involve anything that involves a weapon, some sort of life safety. Uh, priority one, which would be uh, blocking accidents, anything that generally is in progress. And then priority two calls. Uh, those, for example, could be a vehicle theft that occurred overnight, a property crime, and such. As we look at our response times, uh, we have a graph here that shows it, and what we're always focused on is our priority X calls. Those are the highest priorities. And to see that those, those numbers have remained right around the four-minute mark is very encouraging, uh, 4.11. Uh, and then we see, again, priority one and two uh, at 7.3 and 9.7 minutes accordingly. That tells us that even with the headwinds that we're seeing in staffing, and no agency has been immune to those, we're still able to preserve our response and the quality of service on the calls that matter most. We're very encouraged by that. I think that speaks to the, the work ethic and quality of character of our leadership and uh, the men and women that are serving here in Shoreline. Uh, bringing to light our hate crimes for 2022, uh, we've had a, a decrease this year, so nine total reported as it meets the definition by a revised Code of Washington last year. In that, six of those cases, um, the victim was an actual individual. Three were crimes against society. Uh, we made two arrests of those nine um, reported crimes to us. Um, I just wanted to highlight a couple of these. Uh, one thing, just the collaborative efforts between the police and city. Uh, we work very closely with our CRT. Um, one of these instances at Cromwell Park, we had some hate language spray painted very freshly up on one of the, the restrooms. This was right before a wedding. Um, very quickly got the phone call. I was able to make a call to our on-call uh, on service for CRT. They took care of it in a matter of less than half an hour. So it was a minimal impact to the individuals that were there. So just, a great, again, great partnership that we have with our, our city partners. Uh, the arrests made were both in August of last year. Um, as you can see, the type of crime within that uh, uh, hate crime label varies from hate language, which is the majority of five of those nine calls, uh, violation of an anti-harassment order, a malicious harassment, and two vandalisms. I'd like to speak to property crimes and, and uh, in particular burglaries. So we did see an increase in commercial burglaries, 6.9% uh, increase, but a decrease in residential burglaries of 4.6%. We appreciate the property crimes. You know, Shoreline is an incredibly safe city. Uh, we know no community is untouched by property crimes, but these certainly stick with us. Um, we are so fortunate to have dedicated detectives here in the city that work on that. Uh, we had a particular case uh, that was targeting uh, Asian-owned businesses through the work of uh, Detective Brady, one of our CAU members. We were able to bring closure on that and get a case filed. We're very encouraged. Uh, one of the stubborn areas that we've seen recently has been uh, public storage. Uh, facilities that have been the target of thieves. They'll oftentimes use kind of clever means to gain access or open accounts, and then they'll exploit that to, uh, to again, uh, burglarize those units. Uh, as I speak now, we have a vehicle here in our evidence bay that we will uh, hopefully execute a search warrant on the next day or so. And I share those as yet another example of the work that our detectives are doing. They're out there, they're seizing cars, they're interrupting those that are trying to, uh, to, to burglarize and take advantage of these property crimes. We expect that the numbers next year will decline. We of course can't forecast anything, but we appreciate the priority that our detectives uh, certainly are, are giving this and uh, we'll continue to work closely. Uh, Chief, would you like me to speak to this? Please. 
In addition, we have a program that's pending uh, as we work with uh, you know, those here in the Shoreline community, just sending a signal to those so that says we assist in the investigation of prosecution of crimes involving people and property. The intent of this program, what we're calling the Police Partner Program, is that we will have businesses, whether they be our hotels, motels, other establishments, sending a signal to let those that want to engage in criminal activity know that they will work with us. They will be willing victims, help with statements, provide surveillance. And our goal is is someone seeking to commit a property crime in Shoreline will, will pause, think, and go elsewhere. And uh, we think this could be a program that was patterned after some uh, what some other departments have done on messaging and branding. We think it will be successful and look forward to rolling this out uh, here very soon. And we have a date on the calendar with the chamber to discuss this in further detail. They're very excited about the program and, and partnering with us, so that's great news. So moving on to our uh, traffic collision and citation data from 2022. Um, number of traffic collisions in 2021 was 361. That was a slight increase from 2020. Uh, overall, it remained pretty low. This year we have had an increase to 394. Um, this is across the state. Collisions are on the rise because people have transitioned back to work after the pandemic. Um, Washington State Patrol reports that the state of Washington saw more fatal collisions in 2022 than any prior year with a total of 314. 59 of those occurred in King County. Uh, contributing trends to these collisions include impaired driving, distracted driving, excessive speeds, uh, and failure to wear seat belts. Um, our shoreline traffic unit, as you all know, has be, been reassigned to patrol. Uh, we had to make our 911 calls a priority, but this is a short-term goal for us to start filling these vacancies and rebuilding uh, our, our traffic unit um, and hopefully expanding that as well. Next, I'd like to speak to our radar program. Uh, this one holds a, a special place uh, for me. I was uh, fortunate to serve on the original iteration of radar when it came out about 2016 or 17. So I've had a chance to see co-response from the beginning and so proud to be part of that. I'll let these numbers speak for themselves and just touch on a few, but seeing the number of people served, 177, 37% uh, of those were our unsheltered neighbors. We're seeing emergency department visits down. For us, that's an area we think that's really important. It allows us to preserve those resources for those that are in acute medical need. Uh, we're seeing a reduction in jail bookings. Behavioral health uh, crisis events are down. Uh, we currently have uh, Sherry on board uh, through the Radar Racer Partnership. Uh, she's been an outstanding addition to our team, has engaged just very, very well with all of the deputies serving out there. And Radar is really, uh, I, I think, a program that helps our deputies be more effective at, at engaging with those in crisis. Shoreline has been on the forefront of this for five or six years now, and uh, this program is only going to get better and, and really help us lead in the co-response space. And as you all know, we're fully transitioned now to the RACER program. Uh, great news last week from Brooke that they have three people uh, that they're hiring. Almost tidied that up completely, and we're first in line to get the next navigator. So we will have our two assigned here in Shoreline, which was great news. Okay, moving on uh, to use of force for 2022. Um, Shoreline PD made a total of 25,656 contacts. 862 arrests last year. Out of these contacts, force or reported force was used only 17 times. This equates to 0.00066% of shoreline PD contacts in 2022 resulting in a use of force and covers a broad range of tactics. Um, as you can see from the graph, that can be from handcuffing, 
pointing and aiming, taser use, takedown and control holds, uh, taser application and handcuffing um, that result in a complaint of pain, those type of, of uses of force. Uh, in the 17 shoreline uses of force, two resulted in complaint of injury or complaint period. Uh, 15, there was no complaint or injury involved. Uh, the first of those two uh, was an allegation that officers laughed at the subject that was being taken under arrest and handcuffed them roughly. These allegations were unfounded, meaning the allegation is not factual and or the incident did not occur as described after full investigation. The second allegation was a burglary incident in Shoreline with an arrest of a suspect as she was in the act. Uh, when taken into custody, the subject screamed and yelled, made a large commotion that she was injured, being abused by the police. Uh, and excessive force was being used. However, there were no injuries. Uh, later, she admitted that she was uncomfortable in her handcuffs. She was suffering from uh, mental health issues, sleep deprivation, and had potentially been sleepwalking. Um, with that, uh, she pulled back on her claim of excessive force, and this allegation was also deemed unfounded. I'd like to mention, because we haven't done this in years past, these uses of force also involve our officers, and I think we have failed to mention in past um, this particular year of these uses of force, we had five injuries to officers that were sustained. So we don't want to get into these uses of force if we don't have to either. And it's, uh, I think, important to mention our officers are also subject to injury during these incidents. So that's a very good segue to accountability. Uh, I had the privilege of serving with uh, Chief Park and our internal investigations unit, so that gave me a position to really see the sheriff's office as a whole in Shoreline. I'm so proud of how we perform. To see 25,000 contacts result in just you know 18, in this case, 18 preliminary complaints that came in in 2022 is extraordinary. Uh, our officers are just incredibly professional. Their compassion, I think, really uphold the values of Shoreline. Um, I want to speak for, take just a moment back here and talk about vehicle accidents. That is an area we look at in terms of performance. It's important that we're operating vehicles safely. We obviously, we, we put deputies where they're, you know, normal routine driving, but also expedited driving. And we know that the collisions will happen, but we seek to minimize them at, at certainly at every turn. Of the five vehicle accidents in 2022, three were deemed preventable uh, with training and or discipline issued in response to the issue. And that, that can include something as simple as a written reprimand, um, what we call emergency vehicle operations training, things like that. But it's important that we're safe when we're operating in the city. I want to talk about the 18 preliminary complaints that came in. One resulted in a non-investigative matter, kind of a technical term that ultimately was maybe not determined to be a violation of policy. Five resulted in performance-related training, which is always our preferred way of addressing something. If we see performance that is outside the margins, let's try and find a way to train and coach to get that performance back where it needs to be. One was non-sustained. Six were exonerated, so that event happened and it was appropriate. Uh, two were unfounded and two were sustained. Uh, but again, given the incredibly high number of contacts, I'm just uh, I'm proud of the quality and character of our people. It's really a function of culture that we can do as many contacts as we do and operate in the way that we do with so few complaints. And again, this is new information this year. I just feel it's extremely important to be completely transparent, and that's why we added the accountability piece as well, um, just to show you the things that we need to work on. Uh, with that, I get the, the excellent news of the awards and commendations that come along with that as well. Uh, again, we haven't mentioned these in, in years past, but in 2022, Shoreline PD received eight award nominations, 
which is significant, and 13 commendations for work that was well done. Uh, within those, I, I have to mention specifically MPO Kerry Koblantz receiving the Medal of Valor, uh, literally on his way to work, um, heard a collision outside of his window, ran outside and pulled people from a burning vehicle, um, put his duty belt back on, fastened everything up and headed in for his regular shift like it was nothing. So excellent work being done every single day. And wanted to highlight to our, our uh, Deputy Sergeant and Detective of the Year, um, uh, Detective Jeffrey there, we have the smiley face on being that he's in an undercover role. Um, but MPO Koblance received our Deputy of the Year uh, and Sergeant Scott Fitchett for some of the significant work and improvements that he's, he's done while in the city in the short term. Very proud of our folks. Additionally, we really want to highlight the outreach and partnership um, that, that we are um, very committed to in the city. Um, Shoreline Police Department continues to focus on Council Goal Number 5, promote and enhance community safety, healthy neighborhoods, and a coordinated response to homelessness and individuals in behavioral health crisis. Uh, our department will continue to work closely with our other city departments to address crime trends and public safety concerns. Um, but again, being appointed the new chief back in October, I saw there's an area that we are doing some significant work in, and I wanted to make sure that we, we hopped on board, which uh, was with Council Goal Number 4, to expand the city's focus on equity and social justice and work to become an anti-racist community. Specifically, with regards to action step number two, continue building trusting working relationships within the community to foster engagement, participation, and co-creation of strategies for building an anti-racist community. And action step number six, continuing or continue developing relationships to inform our community about policing practices. Um, to highlight some of the numbers, outreach, uh, community events and meetings that we had, Detective Keelan had 25 community events last year or meetings and did 11 security surveys and reviews. That's increased significantly, as you'll see in 2023, now that people are um, kind of coming out of the pandemic and willing to have her come and look at their properties. And uh, Dahlia Corona had six community meetings, those again increasing now that we're back to being able to do this in person. Um, and myself, I had 32 community events and or meetings last year. So that was a total of 63 outreach events, 11 crime prevention uh, engagements. Uh, we're also at the forefront um, here being that I am the program director and manager for a justice-based policing program for the state and King County Sheriff's Office uh, and our ABLE Active Bystandership for Law Enforcement program as well. Um, we wanted to make sure that Shoreline set a good example with the ABLE program. We got all of our folks through and we're the first precinct to do that um, across the board. Um, the entire department is supposed to be up to speed by the end of the year, so we're very proud of that. And we wanted to open it up for any any questions, concerns, or anything we can address? Councilmember Poby. Thank you. First of all, as a community representative or community representative uh, on IFET, I have come to really appreciate the work that you guys do. I, I love my work as a numbers person, and I, I hopefully you love it because looking at some of the things it scares me, but just, just my mind. Three questions, 20% vacancy, and I know that um, the mayor was so keen on it when we met the sheriff um, last several months ago, and I was thinking that we were gonna see something immediately done. You had mentioned, well, something is going on aggressively is what you used, but I'm just thinking, what is happening? 13 positions, what I'm seeing. Um, 
what is the immediate action or what is it that is slowing this down? And again, 13 was end of the year. We're improved slightly from where we were now. So forecasting forward, some of the things that we've been working on aggressively is our recruiting um, and then being able to establish that direct pipeline from our uh, basic training unit to get our training officers sent here to Shoreline. Previously, we were sharing them with a different precinct. There was these uh, you know, temporary assignments back and forth, and then we're fighting for bodies with this. We get them assigned to us immediately. We get to train them here, and we get to kind of uh, form them in the ways of Shoreline, make sure that it's a good fit for them to be here. So that's been our most significant feed um, for folks coming in. The commitment from the sheriff is that all contracts are going to be up to 82 to 86% range by the end of summer, so beginning of fall. With that, we're still on the low end. Um, we have also factored into that calls for service. We are only second to Burien. SeaTac has less calls for service than we do. So making sure that we are up to speed and then the heavy load of vacancies is being uh, bared at the unincorporated level. So we're slowly making methodical moves. Um, we also want to make sure that it's a good and right fit for the individuals that are here. I think one of the biggest struggles, and if you have different ideas on this, Captain, I'm open to it, but we are getting new people in the door, we are getting them trained up, we are getting them out to business. However, we aren't retaining folks. Folks are retiring now uh, and not holding on as long as we had hoped. So we're losing people faster than we can, can get them. Great news for us is we have zero outbound transfers here in Shoreline. So folks are here, they wanna be here, they wanna stay here. But if you have other thoughts, please. Yeah, uh, Chief of May, and, and I think regardless of what we do our organization, we know how important it is to get the right people in, and we will often say, and I think we'll see this throughout our precincts with the Sheriff's Office, that we would rather carry a vacancy than have the wrong person here. We need people. Shoreline is a, and I can say this as someone who served here as a patrol deputy, uh, has been in the precinct uh, either through Shoreline or Kenmore for uh, over 10 years now, that the right person and the person that understands the values and vision of the council, the things that we're trying to achieve, we want to have absolutely the right folks here and we know it can be difficult. Boy, the wrong person comes in an organization and all the hard work and investment that we've put into the community supporting the goals and supporting the vision can be quickly undone. So we are step by step, person by person, going to build us back to where we need to be. We're very, very encouraged. I'm encouraged with the performance of what we call our phase two folks again out of the academy, but not on their own. Um, but we'd much rather have a vacancy than the wrong person. And so we'll be slow and deliberate. And the fact that we have five of those training officers here right now is extremely encouraging with a potential lateral in about a month. So that would be six total. So very good news for us. Our training officers are, are working hard. <laughs> and I can also speak to some of the maybe more resourceful ideas that we've been doing. So for example, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. on weekdays, we will use detectives to occasionally backfill and support those things. Uh, Chief and I are supporting community court. You'll see us out here and uh, we get to meet just great community members. I think it's one of our best avenues for community engagement, candidly, is having these conversations and discussions. And so you are seeing, I, I, I say often that, you know, we have work and not jobs. And that really is, uh, we want to work, really live that out here uh, in Shoreline. And so we're doing things to ease the burden on patrol. We want patrol to be the primary focus. That's how we're able to maintain those four minute priority X response times. We're starting to see it ease, and I, I appreciate, uh, you know, from an accounting side, looking at these numbers, slow and deliberate, and bringing in the right folks. We know is the best strategy in the long term. Thank you, Mayor. One, one more. Sure. Um, commercial break in. There's a guy who's on 
200th and he's a phone and laptop repairer. It was a sad news for me and I think it's something that is or possibly can drive small businesses away or even bigger businesses. And so 13 in increase or incremental form from the previous year, isn't that concerning? What is the strategy we are putting in place for that? With regards to commercial commercial burglaries, burglaries yes. a number of different things. First of all, being able to bolster up our criminal investigations unit. So once we have that wiggle room, if you will, on patrol, because I can't bleed anything more from patrol. They're working so hard already, but getting additional numbers in so that we can free up those experienced individuals to move into the investigations. Uh, right now, we really have to prioritize the very solvable crimes that are coming in, the in-progress, the, um, the storage burglary rings that we have going on and so forth. But to have more individuals to do the work is a big piece of it. Additionally, our outreach uh, with the chamber and trying to partner with these businesses, it's a lot of education as well. Sometimes we're finding out about these property crimes through other, other means, through rumor and social media, things showing up on the news, and we're not getting the 911 calls to be able to do the initial lake work. Um, evidence can go away if, if that's the case. So really just trying to say, hey, we're actually here to solve these crimes. We are going to respond. We are going to work these cases. Um, folks seem very discouraged and won't even pick up the phone to call 911 often. So trying to get folks to do that. I know it seems very simple, but just reminding them, call 911, that's why we're here. We can't come and, and do anything to assist you if we don't know that the crime actually happened. Thank you, Mayor. Deputy Mayor. Thank you. I kind of have a long list of questions, so um, I'll try to get through them quickly. Um, and actually, first, I'll start off with following up on what Councilmember Popey said and the sign that you held up. So, you know, is the thinking that the sign itself will be a deterrent or what tell me about the relationship building that will be happening and what additional actions do you think are, are actually going to be inspired by these business owners do you want to start with that yeah i'd, I'd like okay. to so i think the I, I think the the sign accomplishes a few things so one it sends a message to those that are going in that you're you're entering a business that is agreeing to informally support our efforts to investigate crimes number two it sends a signal to our business owners and anyone else that we are going to be investigating crimes involving people and property. I think there's a narrative out there with other departments that property crimes are, are less than. We don't see them as such. Uh, and so it is that signaling that's, that's out there. This initially, and I'll, I'll be candid with where this came from, it came from an incident involving uh, one of our hotels. And we also wanted them to sort of, by posting it, becomes a bit of a contract of sorts with both the community and us mm -hmm. that they're gonna help us. Um, we occasionally will have a, will have events that come up and we'll go to seek, for example, surveillance images or other things, and that cooperation can fall apart. This is, a, again, a bit of a contract to all parties that says, hey, we are here and we're invested. But most importantly, we want people to know that property crimes for us are not less than. We will investigate them with vigor, and I, I think we've, uh, we've seen that here recently. And it's going to take a lot of individual contacts with these businesses, which we're willing to do, going out and having the sit-down meetings and just say, hey, here's what we're available to do. We want to help you, help us, help you, please. Are you willing to, be, to partner with us, um, you know, in solving this issue? So a lot of just individual, let's sit down, let's have a conversation and see if they're willing. Uh, so following up on that, um, one of my, my questions, and I, I gave you a heads up on this, is just this, uh, this perception, well, 
the hate crimes, the reality of hate crimes. And you mentioned one of the Asian American owned businesses. I have heard anecdotally from others, um, others representing others, that there's a general sense of lack of sense of safety among Asian American business owners in Shoreline. So I look at the, you know, the list of hate crimes and the number of arrests that have been made. It feels small to me. Um, and so I guess the question is, what are the specific challenges that come along with trying to identify, um, follow up on, and make arrests on hate crimes? Forgive me, because there's multiple parts to hopefully answer your, your question, Deputy Mayor. Um, first of all, we're bound by the definition of, of hate crime to truly fall under that um, umbrella, if you will. Uh, that doesn't mean that these individuals are, are less of a victim or anything under you know those type of circumstances. Um, but there's a specific threshold that must be met in order for it to be labeled with that, that hate crime tag. Um, with that, there's a few different issues. Sometimes we have crimes that are reported and we have no evidence to support that it actually occurred. Um, that happens sometimes. People are sometimes not completely honest with us. Uh, additionally, with issues with identifying folks, um, we've had a couple tools taken away from us, one specifically being the facial recognition. It was a tool that we used previously. If we could get a picture, which everybody's got their camera phone, a lot more businesses have security. To be able to utilize that tool, we were able to make a lot more identifications on suspects um, than we can without that tool. So that's been a bit of a concern. Um, making sure I hit all my points for, for you here, sorry. We've had a few too, and this is extremely discouraging, but having our detectives build strong, solid cases, packaging them up, we have the suspect, we have the evidence, pushing those forward, and the prosecutor declines the case. So that does happen as well, and they have a multitude of reasons for doing that. We just do our best to put the facts together and, and push it forward. So uh, once we, we make that recommendation, it's their decision as to whether or not they file. Am I missing anything, Kevin? No, and I think the prosecutor, uh, piece is an important one. I think of a series of burglaries that, that we had in one particular district, and it was very challenging to convince, in these cases they're felony crimes, so convincing the prosecutor downtown uh, to take these cases. And there can be nuances, and we certainly understand it. And our prosecutors, like every organization, they have more work than resources, so we appreciate they at times have prioritized crimes. But we talk often that uh, we can prepare good, solid cases, and then we can hand those cases you know, to a prosecutor the next in line, and it, but it can be difficult to get them done. But it, it truly is a team effort to see cases all the way through to prosecution. Mm -hmm. I'd like to speak to specifically to the, the, the issue of concern that you brought up with, um, with our Asian uh, burglary series that was going on with that. We were having a, um, a difficult time getting the victims to, to communicate and, and speak with us for a number of reasons, mistrust. So being able to identify a leader in the community that was willing to kind of be the liaison and speak back and forth between uh, the two parties was extremely helpful. The Korean consulate even came and had a conversation with me, which was fantastic, and just built a fantastic partnership there, um, being able to speak to the size of our Korean community uh, here in Shoreline and making sure that we're doing everything that we can to protect everyone, make sure that everyone feels safe living and doing business here. Um, so we're doing as much outreach as we can, and sometimes it's single conversations, but anybody that's willing to talk to me, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Thank you for that outreach. Um, next one, uh, the, we've talked about the pipeline of officers uh, coming. When do we think realistically we could have a tra traffic unit back? Do you want to show the forecasting? 
I, yeah, I sure can. So we are estimating that we can have a two-car traffic unit back by the end of the first quarter of next year. And the idea would be that one of those cars would be dedicated towards impaired driving of sorts. So we're looking at something like swing shift hours so they could assist with your PM type collisions. That's going to help ease some of that burden from patrol and then also assist with impaired driving. I expect we would have two officers that would be able to do it. Once we make these moves that the chief spoke of, of uh, Deputy Montserrat moving into CIU and then uh, Detective Swanson moving into our set unit, uh, we have a couple of supervisory moves to make, but at the deputy level, those are our next priority. And so we're going to pause moving. We will pause full staffing on our set unit and our CIU unit and prioritize traffic. Uh, but the vision is two. I want to be realistic. It probably is going to be the end of Q1 of next year. We're already gearing up for those folks, uh, forecasting our need for impaired driving emphasis. I think we've we've been lacking in, in supporting that area. So again, of our five, our plan is to have a minimum of, of those two, two of those folks dedicated to impaired driving enforcement. With that comes a significant amount of training applications to get into the schools. We're already working on that and have people in line and very interested in doing that work. So um, we're on our way. We just need to get the bodies to be able to make the movement. Thank you for making mentioning schools and my next transition, um, whether it was in the news, on social media, in, on parent chats, um, I am aware of a number of assaults that were taking place on or criminal activity, whatever, um, troubling behavior on our schools and our school campuses, high schools. So for me, I guess my question is, is how can we get more information about what's happening there? I mean, yes, they are students, they are minors, but they are our community members, their families are our community members. And so I'm, I'm curious to know how we can uh, have a better understanding because uh, crime in the schools is not at all part of the reports. I don't know where that information lives could live if that's possible to be shared with us. Um, and I guess part of that question is, does the school have a separate contract with you? I don't think so. So your contract is with us. So is it possible to have that information come to us? Absolutely it is. So if that's something uh, that you would like included in the 2023 report, we can absolutely do that and uh, break things down to location, including the schools, whether it be crimes against person or property. Mm -hmm. um, so not a problem for us to do that. Um, we've had some changes. We lost our school resource officer that was significant. So not having that uh, you know, intimate relationship with the schools has been problematic. Um, but we have a fantastic working relationship with the district. Uh, Dr. Reyes and Brian Stoltz are fantastic partners. We know that we can pick up the phone at 3 o'clock in the morning and call Brian. He's going to pick it up. Um, we had heard about a few very significant uh, incidents, one assault that was pretty major. Um, we didn't hear about it from the school, so very discouraging. Um, immediately went to the district to say, hey, what can we do to better partner and make sure that things are being communicated, that nobody's afraid to pick up the phone and call 911. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the perfect storm of events, right uh, at the last minute on a Friday, right before spring break when this occurred. Uh, thank goodness one of the um, young um, not victims, but witnesses of the incident was willing to call us and get involved. Um, but just having the schools know that it is okay to talk to us. It's okay for us to be in the building. Um, we're actually there to partner and to help. Um, we're going to be hosting a school summit uh, right here as, as we're going back to school and bringing in our leadership to have these very discussions. We just want to do better, not just with our public schools, but our, our private schools are coming as well. I think I failed to mention that. But just talk about how we can help one another, um, work on these issues, communicate when it comes to notifications, when it comes to criminal activity on campus, 
um, trends and issues that they're seeing, getting them to call us often and early, um, and just being willing to have us on campus. Um, great relationship with the district, and I've been able to make some headway with some of the individual schools. Uh, Shorewood, for instance, I got to meet every single freshman uh, going through the health program there and speak at every single one of their classes. Um, it was a great opportunity and a very exhausting three days, but I'd do it again and hope to get to do it again. Um, Shorecrest health instructors heard about this and said, hey, please come into our classrooms as well. So we're making headway there. And again, it's just rebuilding the partnership um, that we have and, and exploring a different way to communicate where we don't have that school resource officer option anymore. Um, I'm very passionate about this. I was a school resource officer many years ago. Um, I know how important that work is, and we want the schools to be willing to work with us and know that we're actually there to help. So we're working on it. I promise this is my last question. I don't normally talk this long. Um, and so um, it, it's another one about this, one of the stats in there, just human trafficking, prostitution. Mm -hmm. I know there are different categories, but um, I still see some overlap there. And I was surprised that the number was so low in our city, given the activity that anyone who drives south on Aurora is aware of. Um, I had the opportunity to go on a ride along this last year, and I really encourage all the council members to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, we talked a lot about just how we reinforce, our officers reinforce that 145th Street border. But, I mean, that's just a, you know, that's a made-up border. So I wonder if there's more that could or should be done to partner with the Seattle Police. Um, I can, I can tell you what we've been doing that has made the difference. Again, multi-layers, so hopefully I answer. And if I miss any part of the answer to your, your questions, please let me know. Uh, in 2006, we put a very, very uh, strong stance and, and hard push on, on dealing with these crimes. And they are completely related, human trafficking and, and prostitution. You're not off in any way. They're completely related to one another. The numbers are low here because we started this work early on, and we have continued to enforce that work. Um, unfortunately, folks that engage in that type of business um, know when they come to Shoreline, we're not going to stand for it and you have to go somewhere else if you're going to continue to do that. Uh, we don't like pushing a problem off just across the street either. Uh, but unfortunately, Seattle Police has a different stance on this type of enforcement. Um, we have had the opportunity just last week to talk to our partners with the FBI. They just did a very large scale operation south of our border, uh, covered many blocks that were a problem area in Seattle where Seattle didn't have the resources to do so, um, but immediately came to us and said, hey, we know where you guys stand in this. If anything starts creeping north, uh, we want to be a good partner. They were able to communicate some information with us, talk about some, some specific areas that we may need to keep a closer eye on. Um, we don't want to push a problem anywhere, um, but they just their enforcement is, is different, unfortunately, for them. Um, with that, too, we have a, a very strong relationship with our REST program, which is our safe house for those trying to escape uh, human sex trafficking in town. Uh, Scott Fitchett, our, our sergeant on swings, was one of the, uh, the founders in, in bringing this uh, program to light many, many years ago down in the south area of the county. And um, it's been just about a year that they've opened up their safe house here as well. So we do a lot of benevolent work with them um, and try to support them in any way that we can. Um, just to know that we're here to assist. If people want to sit down and have a conversation, we'll do that. And just have some good positive engagement with law enforcement um, rather than responding to crimes with, with these individuals that have been subjected to this, this life. 
Chief, if I may, we've also enjoyed such a strong relationship with CRT, and we know that there are establishments, particularly in the massage business, where you know they may be operating you know outside of of what's appropriate. We'll use our regional intelligence group CRT, and in a really thoughtful and educational way, being very mindful of due process, trying to address any of that conduct. So I, I think that we've sent a strong message that Shoreline is is a place of values, a place of good character, and we're going to work very hard to make, to make sure that uh, that we uphold that. But uh, we'll use every every appropriate resource to, to do that. We want to keep people safe and, uh, again, with a strong focus on outreach, and that's why our partnership with the REST has been so important. I appreciate you both very much. Thank you for answering my questions. Well, thank you. Other comments? Yeah. Council Member McCall. All right, I have, I have a couple. Um, my goal is to be shorter than the deputy mayor, um, which still gives me a lot of leeway. Um, sorry. Um, so thank you for the updates on staffing. Um, I am convinced that there's not much more we can do or you can do to sort of move that along faster than it's already being done. And I really appreciate the creative stuff you've done to get the direct pipeline and so forth. The question I have is one I can't believe I didn't ask 10 years ago, which is what's, where's the, the major problem? Is it not enough folks applying to become a police officer at the first step? Is it not enough academy space? Is it not enough folks completing the academy? Where There's got to be one point where sort of recruiting falls down. And just out of curiosity, where would you put that point? I think we have some strong opinions on, on where that chokehold is. Uh, okay. Just being as, as, you know, as respectful as, as possible, we're, we're bound by some very strict civil service rules uh, that we all have to follow. So. Uh, currently, the sheriff's office as a whole is looking at ways to make that process uh, run a little bit more smooth uh, and efficiently. So some uh, significant deep diving is going into the way that we do our hiring, making some adjustments and, and pivots. We're seeing best practices kind of um, shift with the times. Things are just different. And we have a lot of, um, I think that kind of old school, I had to go through the oral board and I had to do all of these different steps that may not be necessary to get the right person in the door. We're just in a very different time and it's a different generation. So we need to move and, and pivot with it as well. So we're working on that uh, significantly. That's much higher level decision and work that's being done, but something we certainly support. Um, Tim and I have always been extreme supporters of our recruiting program and, and efforts um, for the county. We continue to do that and just take the stance that every single one of us should be out recruiting every single day. So you go and get a, a cup of coffee and have an excellent conversation with the person giving you your coffee, have a good interaction with them and go, gosh, have you ever thought about being a police officer? Or Mayor, even you coming out to our, our Korean Association uh, meeting last December that was fantastic and challenging the youth. Hey, have you thought about doing this and giving back to your community? So thinking outside of the box, not going to the same pool of individuals that we've gone to for years and years and years to pull, but being more creative and truly that's going to reflect the people that we serve that much better, which we should be a much more diverse group and better serve those folks, um, you know, that, that we're here for. Um, do you have additional comments on that, Captain? Well, I'll, I'll keep my remarks brief because before I came here, I was the captain over our overall recruiting efforts for the sheriff's office. So I, I can get pretty passionate. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be mindful of our time. I think one of the biggest challenges we have is that the narrative of our work has been told by the media and others. And I would, I would oftentimes get, uh, get pretty agitated with people not knowing what we do. We are in the public safety business and we are here to serve. We are in the service business, but that narrative is often not out there. We at times as a profession have allowed 
whether it be you know television or news or social media, to tell a narrative about our work that's completely false. We're here to serve and take care of people. I will say sometimes uh, community court can be a nice break on a Tuesday afternoon to meet and engage with people, and we've lost that piece of it, and we haven't properly marketed the full scope of what we do. Um, I'm excited that when we, you know, on behalf of the chief, I get a chance to sell Shoreline and convince people this is a place to come to. Shoreline is different, and that is those are great qualities that we want to celebrate. But we need to tell our story because so often we've let the generations that come before us, you know, do that. And so there's a misnomer about what our work is. Uh, we don't always drive fast. Not every day is is exciting. Uh, a lot of our work is administrative. It's investigative. It's behind the scenes. Um, there are people that are attracted to that. There are good quality, solid people with a heart for community service that are attracted to that. We need to do a better job as an organization, really tell the authentic and holistic story about what we do. The more we do that, we're going to see ourselves through this. Uh, but we are in an odd labor market right now. I'm a police mm -hmm. captain, not an economist, but the labor market is a little bit different. But when we can see that normalize and we can tell the story of what we actually do, I think we'll, we will find ourselves through this. And I have to give some significant credit to the captain here. If you pay any attention to our social medias and, and just the media stories that are being pushed out, hopefully you're seeing the shift. We're trying to get the positive message out there, the, the stories of the good work that's being done, not just the big you know, trophy photos of the drug bust. Those are significant. Those are important. We don't need the flaming crash on social media all the time. I've had my face on social media and had a microphone in my face more in the past six months than, than, uh, than I enjoy. Uh, I, I don't like being the face and being out there, but it is extremely important for us to tell the story. Hopefully you're seeing that shift in what we're reflecting and pushing out. And that's really, I've got to give that credit due to the captain here for really lifting, um, lifting the message up. And I think it's very important. Uh, I've always been one that uh, works in silence and just get the work done, nose to the grindstone. But we've, we've got to put our face forward sometimes. So he's, he's pushed us in that direction in a good way. Thank you, and that's a, the drug bust is a great segue to my next comments, which are, which are dual. I did do a ride along, and I appreciate you encouraging me to do it. And I think we had the same experience, very positive, great experience, very impressed. But I definitely sensed a deep frustration in the businesses long Aurora. Um, we responded to a, a call that was rightly not a high priority call. It took eight, nine minutes, not that long, well within standards. But they were like, look, we've been dealing with this all afternoon because they'd waited to call. And their entire afternoon had been spent dealing with this person who was in their business who had been trespassed numerous times and did stuff he wasn't supposed to be doing and scared away customers and was, you know. And they were positive with the officer, but also were not hesitant to talk about how, where are you, you know. I mean, their sense was the police are not paying attention to him. And we can throw all the stats we want at him. There is a sense in that business I was at, and I think in a lot of businesses, that they aren't a priority. Um, so I would challenge you to make that a priority. And my two suggestions on that are, one, you mentioned the prosecutor's office. Mm -hmm. We're politicians. What we do is sort through problems like that. We obviously can't influence a particular case, but if you're hearing over, sorry, um, over and over again that we don't have the resources for commercial burglars or whatever, prosecutor's office has done task force after task force over the years. If we need that, then come to us and we can start lobbying for them to assign a prosecutor to do nothing but north end commercial burglaries. If that's the holdup, we can help with that. And my second thought is I encourage you to continue to reimagine SET's rule. And I don't know the details, I don't need to hear them here, but I see a lot of photographs that bring me right back to the 90s where it's, it's a bunch of drugs, it's a bunch of guns, it's a bunch of cash, and great, 
It's usually in Edmonds. It's not here or wherever else. And I just think, how many weeks did that take? And I just, those photographs, we've been seeing them, you know, since the 60s, but in my professional career since the 90s. And my sense is maybe that's important, but that doesn't really do that much. And I would love to see set redeployed to shoreline problems, commercial burgers and stuff, right? And again, I, I, I don't want a detailed answer, and I understand there are lots of polls on that, but I, I'm hopeful that set can, can be focused on some of the emergent issues we have here. Finally, I want to thank you and thank uh, City Manager Ellington for the, the study that was sort of in the back of our minds for years and years, and all of a sudden it's happening. And, and that's, that's due to, to Mr. Ellington's work and to the Sheriff's Office in general and your cooperation too. And I want to emphasize what I've been emphasizing from the start. This is a check-in. It's not a what's wrong and how do we fix it. It's a chance to bring outside experts, police officers, other experts to say, hey, we know what the nation does. How does what you do compare to it in the processes, not in the individual problems with processes? So we've got interviews being set up with council members and there's interviews with lots of other people. I really appreciate the offices and the department's uh, willingness to partner in that. And I think the outcomes will be positive. And to the extent you can continue to let the rank and file know that this isn't some sort of retribution or, you know, I mean, I, on my ride along, I also, there was some, not concern, but like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that, I didn't know that was going on at all. And I'm glad you're telling me that. And so I won't be stressed when I'm called into somebody's office for an interview. Um, so, all right, other questions or comments? No, thank you very much. Oh, 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 sorry, comes over. Thank you for listening to all our questions and your preparation for tonight. It was very interesting. I really appreciate what you had to say. Thank you. All right, thank you, Chief. Thank, thank you, Captain. You. Thank you. Great. Our final item tonight is an executive session. We may return to take action, so we're gonna recess for a period of 15 minutes. Looks like starting at 9.20. So we'll be back at 9.35, either for me to announce that we're not taking action or for the council to return and take action. It relates to potential litigation. This is, uh,
is stuck. There we go. All right, we're going to resume the general session of the Shoreline City Council following our executive session. Um, we've recessed from there into someone have a motion. Uh, Councilmember McConnell. Thank you, Mayor. I move that the City Council authorize the City Manager to execute the annexation ILA in a form acceptable to the City Manager and City Attorney. Is there a second? Second. Would anyone like to speak to the motion? Yeah, go for it. Briefly, generally, we have been working on uh, this uh, issue for probably a decade. No, decades could probably do plural. And uh, trust that the city council and our attorney are doing the best we that uh, is possible for our city and uh, continue to uh, work with Woodway. Thank you. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Povey? Aye. All right, the motion passes unanimously. That is our last action item, and we are in adjourned.